you the latest thinking and developments from the international B2B marketing space, this is BBN Mixtape. And mixing it up for us today is Anol Bhattacharya. Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of BBN Mixtape. We are going to discuss today the correlation between brand strategy and performance marketing. Is brand strategy or brand marketing becoming a forgotten hero? Many B2B brands in today's climate have begun to develop an obsession with performance marketing, that is, lead generation and nurturing or contribution to the revenue pipeline, while placing brand strategy in the proverbial backseat. However, there are significant ramifications from prioritizing one strategy over the other. But when it comes to putting together a coherent B2B brand strategy without ignoring the measurable business impact of performance marketing, where do you start? Let's ask our today's guest, Richard Parsons, founder and managing director of True, a London-based, multi-award-winning B2B agency. Richard, welcome to the show. Hey, and all. Nice to see you. Oh, well, please let our audience know who you are and what you do. Uh, so as you'd say, I'm co-founder and managing director of True. We're a B2B specialist. Uh, we're part of the uh, BBN um, network, uh, like your agency. Um, and uh, we really specialize at the top end of the funnel. So um, when, when people talk about the funnel, most B2B agencies are focusing on ABM campaigns, on lead generation, nurture campaigns down the bottom end of the funnel and becoming, if you like, um, the quite close to the sales function. Uh, we tend to sit further up in the funnel. Uh, we actually describe ourselves as being an advertising agency. Uh, within the agency, I head up the uh, strategy and planning uh, side of things. Cool. Cool. Let's let's jump into it. And and before we get into deep into that, let's address the semantics first, because there are a lot of uh, debate about this semantics. So what is a brand uh, and what are the components of a brand strategy? What is the difference between creative and a brand strategy? So let's start with that. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think you're right. There's lots and lots of people who who um, will talk about brand and they'll start talking about color schemes and logos and fonts. Um, but actually, uh, I think that Hegarty of BBH fame uh, got it right when he said that that uh, brand is really the most expensive real estate in the world. It's that little piece of in someone's uh, mind. It's having a corner in their brain where they think about you. And so, of course, all the signposts like color schemes and fonts and logos and all those things, the identity pieces are all signposts towards the brand. In itself, that is not the brand. The brand sits in the mind of the consumer, of the business consumer for us in a business to business capacity. And it's, it's broadly speaking, it's how they perceive your brand, how they how they think about you. In terms of the different components from a marketing point of view that you can manipulate or play with, then of course it's your core offering. It's you know what, what you're providing, the services and products you provide. It's the rational benefits of, of the, the offering. Um, it's the emotional benefits. So you're starting getting to the right and left side of the brain uh, hemisphere, the, uh, the different parts of the brain. Um, uh, it, of course, it's the identity pieces, as I've just mentioned. And then it's things like your values. And perhaps it can be something like your purpose, if you have a, a motive that is beyond profits, for example. All of these things, and it's how the audience perceive your business or your products, that, that is, um, for me, what a brand is. Great. So let's come to today's question, which is, is there any impact of brand strategy on the revenue pipeline or performance marketing? And if there is, 
what kind of influence brand strategy have? Yeah, um, well, um, as I said, a lot of uh, a lot of B two B is focused down at the, uh, the pointy end of the funnel, the bottom end, <laughs> and uh, they are really those those campaigns are typically um, trawling the market for people with an immediate need. And actually, emotional communication, sorry, irrational communication works really, really well there because it's hyper relevance. It's someone who's actively looking for that solution. And as a seller, as a vendor, you're being around when the buyer wants to buy by being across their desktop, being in their search, being, you know, being around them uh, at that moment. And that means that it's... Um, uh, it's all about relevancy. It's all about timing. Um, but actually, the truth is that only around about somewhere between three and five percent, we think it's three percent of the market is actively looking for a solution within any kind of short term window of, say, something like three months, which means that potentially, you know, 97 percent, the, the Ironhook Bass Institute, uh, which which look a lot of, uh, at effectiveness, put, put the figures at five percent and 95 percent. But, you know, that two percent discrepancy isn't isn't such a big deal, but broadly speaking, the majority, ninety seven percent from our point of view, of the market isn't in the market at, at any one time. They're not actively looking, and so what we need to do is to build um, uh, the memory structures with that audience, so that when they are in the market, the first brands they think of are. The, you know your client for us are our clients brands or, or or for for marketers it's the brands that they work on so that they they are front of mind um and we 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 conducted some research which looked at how people buy and typically um they come when someone's looking for a, for a solution if they don't realize that they're looking for a solution then sometimes as marketers we need to communicate problems and solutions but once they realize they have a problem and they're looking for a solution they'll turn to their head and they'll say who can help me solve this problem and typically they come up with three brands and if you're the first brand you have a 40 percent chance of winning the business if you're the second brand that they can think of a 30 uh, percent chance and if you're the third brand a 20 percent chance collectively the top three brands get 90% of the opportunities. So all of that kind of relevancy of kind of trawling the market and being around when the buyer wants to buy by being in their inbox, for example, on their email, that really gets you on those longer lists. But very quickly, if you're not one of the three brands, you get discounted and pulled away. So that's why um, for us, much more emphasis on the front end of, uh, of, the, of, the, uh, of the funnel. And, and we always say that the quickest way to build that association, to build those memory structures around your brand is actually to communicate with the audience. And so you're, you, by definition, because you're around at the beginning of the, the buying process, when the buyer wants to buy, they're in control of the timing, you're in their mind, you end up picking up those short-term sales. But because we're talking to the 97% of people that may not, you know, people who are right at the extreme top end of the funnel, they may not be in market for another three or four or five years. Uh, you are really still trawling, if you like, uh, by building those structures in their mind. You are being around them in building, you know, being around them their, their mindset. It means that you end up with those long-term sales as well, so those lasting sales. Um, it also gives you, by building brand, you end up with kind of pricing power for uh, talent and recruitment at the moment is a, is a nightmare globally. Uh, here in the UK, there's it was announced yesterday that there's, 1.1 million vacancies that are unfilled at the moment. I mean, it's just unbelievable the amount of um, of uh, growth that's in the economy after COVID. Um, but talent acquisition and retention, brand plays a role there. Investor confidence, if you want to talk there. Upstream, downstream on the supply chain, your brand play has an effect there. Um, and in fact, uh, Binet and Field, 
uh, which are two uh, researchers that, that worked with the B2B Institute, they looked at the IPA uh, effectiveness data bank, which is a set of case studies, uh, which which are probably the most complete in the world. And they looked at just B2B, um, B2B case studies, and they identified that brand actually in terms of sales and uh, other large business effects like profit, revenue, reduction in price sensitivity, uh, market penetration, all the big things that a CFO cares about, they actually uh, put the figure at about three times more effective than just trawling on a short-term basis. So brand has ramifications that is not just about profit and revenue, but all those different audiences, you know, uh, just by communicating externally to a marketplace, the number one audience that gets to see it is typically your staff. And, you know, if you, if you do a great job there, then you can get a lot of uh, those um, those halo effects. Great. Um, in, in our case, and, and just to insert that, you know, we also follow the similar kind of structure. Uh, that is uh, what you just said that, you know, the lower level of funnel uh, or just people who are looking for the solution right now. And we call that opportunity identification. And then there is a bigger section, what you said, that uh, having renting that space in your in in your prospect's mind or your audience mind we call that opportunity generation so uh that two different uh target we have that and and some portion of branding is brand strategy is affecting the both definitely um there's one more thing uh, is that the the association of the brand with the category that you have something on that, like, for instance, as you say, that top three brands comes in your mind when you somebody is talking, say, I will just quote whatever I know, say, whenever somebody is thinking about uh, cloud solution, their top three brands will come in mind. And not because they are just uh, constantly sending you newsletters. It's because the, their position themselves to be the leader, say, AWS, Google and Microsoft. So, um, that is one of the biggest thing that uh, what the keyword you use, it's not prospect, is rather audience. And I, I really like that term because you don't know who is your prospects going to be because they don't know yet that they need your brand's product. Right. Yeah. In fact, LinkedIn mm. um, did some research on the churn of people in their in their jobs, and uh, they said that in a three year window, that forty percent of people will will churn and change their roles, but they won't just change to you know one company to another company and doing something similar. It might be that someone works in uh, the sales function today, and tomorrow they end up working in a, in the HR function. Or they might work in pharmaceuticals today, and then tomorrow they work in logistics and transportation. So a lot of uh, B2B campaigns that are focused too narrowly on, um, you know, very, very kind of de highly defined audiences, they end up, you know, it's fine if you're trawling the market for people with an immediate need within the next three months, because you're probably going to get those people. But if you're trying to build those memory structures with people that might be three years out, then you actually do need a, a, a quite a broad reach in your in your um um, in your media mix, uh, because you need to be talking to a broad audience. And therefore, you also want your, your communications to be more emotional, less rational, uh, because you're trying to create those memory structures. Uh, so, you know, something that's a, a, a classic example of, of sales promotion, you know, get 10% off something, that actually has no memorability built into it. But it, of course, is trying to create some urgency and get some action. But only people who are in the market today would respond to that 
people in three years time are not going to remember that there was a you know a 10 percent discount or something yeah absolutely and and just to add on into those um people who are doing this like you know short-term campaign and i'm i'm completely against any kind of short-termism even in performance marketing um the reason of that is not they are they don't know and uh most of the cases is the organization structured that way is that quarter to quarter performance evaluation. And it's much more bigger problem than just marketing problem. It's an organizational issue um, in strategy issue. But it is, it is. And in B2B, what's, what's uh, incredible is we all know that the lead times for most B2B products, unless it's uh, some sort of, you know, tactical consumer, like consume, uh, uh, like a, a copy of paper or something, you know, where that, where it's a, 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 a kind of low level involvement. But it, most B two B purchases, like cloud, as you mentioned, the the cycle for buying a new cloud, uh, you know, provider could well be eighteen months or longer. So it's kind of ridiculous that you would run a campaign, let's say an email campaign, in a short term way, and then only measure in in within a six week cycle or a three month cycle or even a six month cycle the response to that campaign knowing that actually the revenue isn't going to be in for another another you know uh 18 months or so yeah absolutely so that leads uh, perfectly to the next question that uh what are the some of the misconceptions the performance marketers and both performance marketers as well as the agencies um have regarding brand strategy is there any misconception i think there are lots i i would argue that the that b2b um Unlike the B, unlike our B two C cousins, um, they they always had um a big canvas to play with. So you know they had television, cinema advertising, billboards, out of home, press, um, uh, even even you know uh, obviously we all have the the internet, but I think that they were they embraced social before B two B did. They embraced video before B two B did, and so B two B um has really uh, the internet killed off trade press, and that was our big you know if you go back at, uh, to the to the beginning of the millennium, but but that's where we that was our, our our route to market. The internet killed that off, and I think that we ended up really uh, just having one channel, which was email, and B two C recognised that that the email was not a good acquisition channel. It had all the other channels to play with. B two B, we just didn't have that. So our so email ended up being our acquisition channel, our awareness channel, <laughs> our our CRM channel ended up being everything. And we ended up with a with a plethora of very very rational communication, which is appropriate if you're talking if you are trawling the market for people with an immediate need. If you are right down the bottom end of the funnel, uh, I mentioned Binet and Field a bit earlier with the B two B Institute, their five principles of growth. I recommend people take a look at uh, at, at that. Um, and they um, they they put the figure at something like fifty fifty. More recently, they've said that for very involved purchases, that it could be more like seventy percent of your budget should be on awareness and on the brand phase, and maybe only thirty percent on the trawling for an immediate need. Could even be eighty twenty. You know, they 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 kind of increasingly they're, they're they're pushing more towards that front end of the funnel brand piece. But I think that performance marketers, uh, we kind of lost the skill set of thinking about brand uh, because we didn't have the big canvas to be able to paint our ideas onto, our creative ideas onto, which were should be emotionally driven to build those memory structures. So what we ended up doing is being very rational. 
We didn't really have a platform. It ended up being email. And it's only really in the last few years that we've started to see video, other social content. Even now, digital out of home uh, means that we can buy digitally out of home, uh, uh, connected television. So we can now start to buy um, you know, individual 30-second slots on television to very specific audiences. But I still think that we suffer in B2B in, in having too narrow cast, always talking to this very narrow set of, set of, um, of people. So I think that the performance marketers um, have all been led down. And I think our skill set, client-side, agency-side, I think our skill set is very driven by those performance metrics. Um, but, but if you look at the, <clears throat> excuse me, if you look at the empirical evidence, the brand stuff, the emotional connections, it's all uh, it, lots and lots of empirical evidence pointing towards that being actually how you get growth into a business. So I think that the pendulum is starting to swing um, in, in that direction. We're certainly seeing that in the UK um, over the last two to three years. Uh, and, and I think it's really exciting with all these new channels that we can now play with. Um, ab absolutely. And, and I'm not uh, sure about that other B2B uh, sectors, but definitely for the technology sector, which is I am in, in the IT and telco, uh, there is a huge uh, emphasis on the the rational um, value proposition and balancing with the emotional value proposition because the structure of the buying center is changing uh, quite a bit. And a lot of business decision makers, starting from line of business managers who got nothing to do with technology, but they hold the budget. And the problem with the most technology company facing that because their value proposition always been the spec sheet and, and based on the, the complete rational, the extreme end of rational emphasis, that the spec sheet of their technology. And when they are trying to communicate that to, say, uh, a business decision maker who got no background of technology, they're failing miserably. So uh, your idea of casting the net much more wider, that is, and, and approaching it from a different point of view, there will be some people who will be looking at your spec sheet down the funnel, but having that mind, uh, mind share in the, in the much earlier stage of the pipe revenue pipeline, in lack of better terms, is need to be much more rational emphasis or balanced with emotional emphasis. Definitely agree. Yeah, I mean, the world... Exactly. And the world is littered with case studies of, um, you know, uh, from a technology point of view, of those brands that have produced products that are superior from a technological point of view, but they fail as, as businesses. Um, you know, maybe they launch a technology and it's then always number two or number three that ends up winning the, the market share. And as I would argue it's because they end up being uh, better marketers. Um, I think it's that marketing layer that ultimately ends up being your differentiation. It's very difficult to be different. And even if you do end up with a small window of difference, your competitors, you know, technology barriers have all, all been, you know, crashing down. Um, your competitors will copy you within three to six months. And you then have no competitive advantage if you're relying on on uh, that product advantage. It is the marketing layer and it is those longer term brand ideas um, and it's, it's um, you know, they are, those memory structures um, aren't quarterly driven. They, they need to be run on a yearly, ideally by a decade by decade basis. You know, what you should be known for shouldn't complete, you know, uh, keep changing. Right. Absolutely. So although we are running out of time, but I will ask you a last question. And that is uh, nothing to do with the performance marketing yet, but 
um, there's a lot of gap I get to see for my clients or prospects or whatever you call it. So there is a brand strategy and there is a brand communication and there is a huge gap between them. Like brand strategy was done with a great um, preciseness and those keeping in mind all the rational and emotional benefits and all those things. But when it comes to the communication, it's mainly talking about the creative and media and it's not really communicating the brand essence to the audience. So where this gap comes from? Um, I think that comes down to to, to talent and skill sets. Um, uh, often what we find is that the brand and brand identity is developed by a branding agency and then they create some sort of brand bible and we're all supposed to live and breathe by that. Um, I would argue that if you try to humanize a brand, you know, a uh, we we often think of a company is, is born in the UK, it would be in company's house, it gets registered and it gets given a certificate of incorporation. A child is born and it gets given a birth certificate. The company gets given a name, the child gets given a name. So you can see the uh, humanizing of the brand in this instance. Then you start to dress the brand. So you end up with your identity, the clothes it's going to wear. You know, that would be the parallel, the clothes, the fonts, the color schemes. Um, but is that really what makes a human being? Just the way that they dress? And we would argue it's not their name. It's not It's not uh, how they dress necessarily. What really makes um, a brand a brand is the, the injection of the, the character and how they their behavior in the world and what they say. And I think that the brand agencies often stop a little bit too soon. They end up not being about the communication or necessarily even how the brand is going to act. They sort of stop at the identity phase. Um, I think at communication agencies such as yours and mine, we focus much more on what is a brand going to say, how you're going to take that message out to market. And of course, there should be continuity from what what the essence of the brand is through to how it's behaving and, and what it's saying. Grounding it in something that is real and product orientated, I think, is always healthy. Um, so you don't end up with too many. At the moment, there's quite a lot of um, of purpose driven campaigns, kind of ESG type type campaigns, which are all about the environment. But then you think, well, how's this corporation got anything to do with the environment? Are they really? It just feels like they're playing lip service to it. So greenwashing, you know, there's a lot of that. So I think there's a lot of that in the marketplace at the moment. So I think you know, trying to ground into what a company actually does and what their role is in the world. I would argue that the best way to build a brand, as I said earlier, is is really to communicate with an audience. Uh, so I, I think that if you're starting to see gaps, I would just suggest it's uh, a talent and a talent um, issue that people are not make, you know, connecting those dots. Absolutely. That was last point was the highlight of the whole thing. I, I love the analysis of the a child growing up and a brand growing up. Really love the conversation. Thank you, Richard, for sharing some great insights and ideas with our listeners today. Uh, really thanks for joining us. My pleasure. And that's all for today, folks. Until the next episode, stay safe and happy marketing. BBN Mixtape is a production of BBN. Subscribe from your favorite podcatcher for episode transcripts, links, and more. If you like this show, give us a nice five-star rating. It's how you can help more marketers find us. Thank you. And we will talk in the next episode.